Hello people and welcome to the When in Yorkshire podcast. This is episode 32. I hope you're all very, very well. Um, Thanks very much for joining me. This episode features Andy Cairns of Northern Irish Punk Rockers Therapy. Uh, For anybody who's not aware of their work, um, briefly, Therapy formed in the late 80s, early 90s and have been releasing records consistently for the last 30 years or so. Uh, So if you haven't heard of them, or or you've uh, you are aware of them but have lost touch there is plenty of music for you to catch up on now as we discuss through uh, through various friends of mine uh, having played and and covered their songs i was aware of of and knew many many of their therapy songs well before i actually knew who therapy were and i think it's probably fair to say that they've sort of inadvertently been an influ- influence on my songwriting for as long as i've been playing music so it it was genuinely brilliant to chat to Andy. Uh, we'd cover his musical past, his plans for the future, uh, as well as getting an insight into how the band has actually managed to keep going over the many, many changes in the music industry when lots of other bands of their, their peers are kind of faded out um, over the last 30 years. We met at the Brudenell Social Club in Leeds, ahead of their gig there. Um, I have recorded quite a few episodes there. It's a, it's a brilliant venue, uh, well worth checking out. Nathan and his team do an absolutely amazing job. Um, they've got loads of great bands passing through and, uh, and loads and loads of great beers as well, which is very nice. So, yeah, to celebrate the 30-year anniversary, Therapy will be taking the So Much for the 30-Year Plan tour across Europe in, in March and April of 2020, starting in Hamburg on the 19th of March and ending in London on the 4th of April and covering a whole host of places in between. So do check out their website and social media for tickets and links. Both will be in the description of this episode. Get along to a show it's, it's it's well worth your time. Um, even if you have to travel a bit, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think that'll be enough for me for this point. I will let you get on with the episode. So this is episode thirty two with Andy Cairns. Awesome. So uh, hello, I'm here with Andy Cairns of Therapy, and we're at the Brudenell Social Club. How are you? I'm fine, thanks very much. Yeah, looking forward to the, the, my day in Leeds. Excellent. Yeah. So you've had a pretty chilled out evening yesterday, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and ready for two shows. Yeah, I was in town last night meeting my son who's at back at uni and had a great night out in the town with him and I'm up at the Brudenell now just waiting for these two shows and everything's very relaxed. Very nice, that's nice. It's, yeah, yeah, it's nice to walk into a kind of a, a working gig situation where mm. everybody's very chilled out. This is, this is nice, I feel oh, yeah. very, very relaxed, which is good. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to get an idea of, of your background, mm-hmm. um, where you came from um, and kind of who inspires you because... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll lay it out there now. Um, from from the time that I I played in bands for for a good few years, and therapy were there um, as a big inspiration for me and a lot of friends. And I kind of was into therapy before mm. I knew who therapy were. Oh, wow. um, yeah. so yeah, I kind of want to understand what it's like for for somebody who was a big inspiration to the yeah. music that I played, um, and and how they how you sort of came to be. So the question I like to start with is: Can you remember? Of the, f- the first musical memory that you've got. So, what what was the first song you remember hearing? It was well, it's very very vivid. It was in the front room of my mother and father's house. It was when I was, I think, probably about six or seven years of age. Uh, they had moved from Belfast to a town called Ballyclare, which is a small market yeah, town, yeah. because they wanted to get out of Belfast because it was the height of the troubles. Okay, didn't, yeah. there was myself, my younger brother. 
And it, we were allowed to stay up, I think, to seven o'clock one night and Top of the Pops was on. Oh, wow. <laughs> and my first musical memory is David Bowie. Oh, wow. And I think he was playing Starman. And yeah. it was because I was only five or seven, you know, whatever age I was, six or seven years of age, I didn't really ever have any interest in music as a kid. But whenever I saw this, it was just because it looked like an alien yeah, yeah, from another yeah. planet. And I remember being really, really curious and after that, I would always ask to watch Top of the Pops. So in the next two or three weeks, I saw Sparks. Yeah. I saw, um, you know, T-Rex, people like that. And that kind of just, it was because it was just like watching aliens from another yeah. planet. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think Bowie's a big influence mm-hmm. on a lot of people, regardless yeah. of kind of what genre that they that they are mm-hmm. known for playing, I think. Yeah. He's so diverse that, that so many people have been inspired by him. Yeah. And, in, in terms of sort of your your first, I guess, purchase and the mm. first um, sort of music that you decided to claim as your own, mm. can you remember what you what that was? Well, the first record I ever got was Blockbuster by The Sweet, right? And that's because I really really liked the song. It was always in the radio, and my yeah. father bought it for me. But you know, then I was very young. But the time when I actually came into my own was punk rock. Yeah, and it was. Um, I got records by glam rock bands. I had records by Sparks, T-Rex, David yeah. Bowie, all this. But the first time I became obsessed was punk. And I remember being in Blackpool, of all mm-hmm. places, and seeing real punks. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Two guys walked by. We were on the Pleasure Beach, and they had green hair and tartan bondage trousers. Yeah. And I was like really going, my God. It was a bit like seeing Bowie for the first yeah, time. Yeah, so uh, there was a shop that sold Nevermind the Bollocks on vinyl by yeah. the Sex Pistols. And I'd heard that the Sex Pistols were a punk band brought that home and my dad bought it for me you know my mom and dad everybody else was saying punk was the end of the world and they weren't gonna but my dad said yeah well if you like it i'll buy it for you as a present wow took it home with me and at this point in time a few months later i realized that there was punk bands in ireland excellent and they were they were in belfast and this was the thing because it was a grim time the 70s in ireland especially for people that were 12 13 14 years of age Mm -hmm. Um, and myself and all my friends, nobody talked about the political situation because it was grim and we were too young, yeah. but we all talked about punk. So we all got records by the Buzzcocks, by the Stranglers and all this. And we were too young to go to gigs, yeah. but we had the records. And yeah. that was, that tied into, to, to tie it back to your original question then, at that point in time, a next door neighbor, um, her uncle her uncle had died and she'd been left a Schecter semi-acoustic guitar. And whenever I was young, I played trombone in the primary school oh, orchestra. Wow. <laughs> And up until secondary school, I still played trombone. I yeah, took yeah. my grades and all this. And the next door neighbor said, Andrew's musical, isn't he? And my mom said, well, he plays a trombone. She won't have got this guitar. Would he be interested in it? So I got the guitar. And at the time, I, I belonged to a thing called the Boys Brigade. Okay, which yeah, Which is yeah, like yeah. a youth group. Yeah, yeah. Brass and band, yeah, mostly. That's, that's yeah, that's the right one, yeah. And I played trombone in that. But there was a guy there gave guitar lessons right. on a Tuesday night. And I went down and said, do you know any songs, any punk songs? And he went, well, to be honest... If you like punk, learn a few bar chords. Yeah. They're really simple chords. And he showed me a bar chord and he, he said, you can play Ramones and Buzzcocks songs with this. Yeah. And I said, how can I? He said, find out what note it starts on and then just move the rest of the notes up and down the neck. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, that's what he yeah, said. And, yeah. and I went home and I, I got It's Alive, the live album by the Ramones, um, the first few Buzzcocks things. I couldn't yeah. play any of the lead parts. No, no. But I could play along with the chords. As long as the guitar was in tune, I could pick it up from the record player. Yeah. And that's what set me on my path then. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think... You know, for so many people, mm. punk was such a was a a big sort of introduction to yeah. to play it yourself 
yes. basically, and yeah. to get people making their own noises. Because, mm. like you say, as soon as you can lock your hand in that formation and yeah. then slide it up and down the neck. And you, that's it. And also with punk, you see, the thing about that was, I mean, I always saw people like Boy T-Rex, Sparks. As I thought to be a pop star, you had to be born with glitter in your hair. I, th- <laughs> I thought it yeah. was like, you know, it was almost like a Greek god that that's what happened. And I thought it wasn't for, I lived in a council estate on yeah. the outskirts of Belfast. So I thought, well, that won't be for me. But whenever I saw the punks and I knew that there was bands on the Good Vibrations records in Belfast, mm. there, was, there was punk bands that were 12 miles up the road for me. There was a recording studio in Temple Patrick, which is five miles up the road for me, where um, some of the punk bands had recorded. I, it almost seemed achievable. Then. Yeah. You know, I thought, well, I might be able to do something like this. Maybe it doesn't matter where I'm from or that I don't look like Tom Jones. Maybe I can make some for myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that, that kind of accessibility, mm. I guess, kind of bought it and made it real for you. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Awesome. And so when you first, I guess, do you still play the trombone? No, I did. The, last, the very last time I played the trombone was in 1990 in Derby Rock House. And the reason right. I remember that was... We were on tour. Neil Cooper, that is currently the drummer in Therapy's band, yeah. he used to be in an amazing band called The Beyond from Derby. Right. And whenever we released our first single, uh, The Beyond's manager heard it and invited us to open for them on tour in the UK. So we did five gigs with The Beyond, and yeah. we had a song on our very first album, Baby Teeth. The song's called Loser Cop. Yeah. And part of it, they have an avant-garde sax, free jazz saxophone solo. I couldn't play the sax we got a friend of ours to do it but what i did was i had my trombone from yeah. school so on that tour in the middle of loser cop i would take the trombone from the top of my amplifier yeah. play the solo and then put it back and at the end of that because i was having such a good time i threw the trombone into the crowd of the derby rock house and it got trashed is that the end of it that's, that's oh, that no. that is literally the end of that was yeah. the very last time i played the trombone because nice. we were talking about that in the van the other day because because neil said did you ever get a replacement trombone i went nope uh-huh. Well, it's that's kind of a nice way for it to end, I guess. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be the end. You could get another one. I could, yeah. It's a nice uh, memory. Yeah, yeah. That's ace. That's Mm. that's a pretty punk way to stop playing uh, trombone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, in terms of sort of starting the band, can you remember like your first performance playing guitar? I do. We had. I I started off playing bass, right? Because of the punk thing, I learned this as I mentioned earlier. The next door neighbor gave me a guitar. Yeah. But my heroes were really John Jack Burnell and, and Peter Hook. Right, okay. And the two yeah, bass yeah. players. Yeah. And I love I love Bruce Foxton from the jam as well. So right. I, I mean I got myself a cheap bass guitar. I got a paper round. Right. And I saved up and what I spent <laughs> my money on was like That's... I spent my money and I got a second hand Jetson uh, right. bass guitar. And I taught myself bass lines from all mod cons by the jam, from the first three Stranglers albums and from nice. Unknown Pleasures. And the first gig that we got, we had a little band, um, and I can't even remember the name of them now. I think it was Omex, O-M-E-X. We wanted something which sounded like Protex right. or, or X-Ray Specs. <laughs> yes. These yeah, punk yeah. bands, so we caught nice. Omex. And it was in a Orange Hall in Ballyclare. And Orange Halls were like you know, the Orange Men, yes, the Protestant. Yeah, yeah. They, they used to have a community Orange Hall, and they had a battle of the bands one night. And they had a comedian, somebody playing the bagpipes, I think. Uh, somebody playing... Uh, music hall on a piano and then somebody I think it was our drummers no it was our our guitar player our drummers aunt knew somebody at the Orange Hall and we played a Clash cover it was Career Opportunities brilliant and a song of our own called Rockstorm which was terrible and we were all 14 and we played on the stage and we we didn't win we came third and we our prize was a biscuit tin it was Rovers Assorted Biscuits okay yeah that was my first that was my first well outside the trombone whenever I played in the school orchestra it was just uh, school concerts yeah but the first one in public was at an Orange Hall when I was 14 so that would have been 
79, 80. Right, yeah. right, in, right in the punk era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. And how was that? How would? How does he remember that sort of feeling? Does that sort of spark the the desire for it to continue? Or? Um, I did. I mean, I always wanted to be in a band and be a musician. And it was um, then there was a friend of mine from school called Chris, who was a really good guitar player when he was about seventeen. We had a band called Every Mother's Son for a while, right? Which was all our own self pen materials. The only problem was I was into New Order. Okay. And I was into yeah. like uh, mid-period Stranglers at this point in time and, and uh, early Ultravox and John Fox and right, Sisters okay, of Mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Chris was into Hendrix and the Grateful Dead. Right. And, you know, we would, we would have some post-punk anthem with like really tight drums and me playing yeah. this pummeling bass line, but then there'd be a wah-wah blues scale yeah, to yeah, fly in there. Yeah, it goes prog yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah, I went prog for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was really it. I mean, I had, um, had another band called Crash Into June then once I'd left school for a while which was which was a guy that from uh, University of Jordanstown the Ents officer was also a drummer and I right. knew him from gigs and we had a band and it, it wasn't really going anywhere and then I'm out five viewing who was the the drummer in therapy right yeah. up to 1995 and that's when it really got serious after that excellent mm. so how did you guys all kind of how did sort of therapy start at the very beginning what was the what was mm. was there any aim was it, or was it just kind of another let's just make some noise well at that point in time I mean, when therapy started I was I'd left school, so I was 21, 22. Uh, no, 21, I think it was. And I'd tried different bands and I'd got yeah. myself a job. And I was buying musical equipment and loads of records. But I sort of thought the boat had sailed. Yeah. You know, I thought, well, I'm 21. I've got a job. I have an apartment in Belfast. And I was renting a flat in Belfast. I thought, this ship sailed. And it was something I always wanted to do, but I thought mm. maybe that had gone. And I went to see a band called The League of Decency. Right. Play a student union night. And this friend of mine who used to be the drummer in our band, he was the Ents officer. I was down having a beer with him. And this band did only covers. They did Dead Kennedys, California Borales. They did um, nice. they did the damn New Rose. Lots of, but yeah, the drummer was classics. amazing. Drummer was incredible. And afterwards I went over and said, you're an absolutely incredible drummer. And it was five. Right. And he went, uh, well, to be honest, like, I'm still at school. I'm only 18. I went, what? So he's like three years, four years yeah. younger than me. And he was still at school. And uh, I went, wow. And he said, yeah. I said, to be honest, I don't want to be doing covers. He said, yeah, I want to play in a band. And I said, well, I'm in a kind of on-off band that just does music that I really, really like. And it turned out that he lived in Larne, which was 10 miles up the road from where I live. Yeah. And I said, well, listen, why don't I drop by one night? I've got a couple of ideas. And he said, so have I. So it became a regular thing. I would drop over to his house maybe once a week and, yeah. and he'd play me some records. He, he was a big fan of Sonic Youth. Oh, nice. Big Black. Excellent. And I was a big fan of like sort of um, dark techno. Um, <laughs> you know, and stuff like, and, yeah, and yeah. Noise rock. I mean, we both like Big Black and right. Shellac, Rape Man. Well, not Shellac, they weren't out of them. Rape Man, Big Black, Sonic right. Youth. Uh, I liked Husker Do a lot, who he yeah, wasn't yeah. really familiar with. And we just started writing some songs in his bedroom. So his, his mum and dad were separated. So his dad was out at work all day. So when... Right. Um, me and him would just go in the room with a little practice amplifier. He had a little setup practice kit. And we thought, shall we make a demo? Yeah. And th then that was the next step that we had. And he got a job part-time in a bar before, because he, he, he had just finished, whenever we started the band, he had just finished his A-levels. Right. And he, was, he had a summer off, and he was going to go to Coleraine University. So over that summer, we kind of got together, and we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, and we had enough songs to make a demo tape. This is how long ago this was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Said, and we found out a place that would do it really cheaply and we made a five, four or five song demo yeah. up in Belfast and we sent it around. But we were only a two-piece. I played all the bass and all the guitar, did most of the vocals and five drummed and did a little bit of backing vocal. Excellent, on it. Yeah. excellent. 
that's that's amazing mm. so that, i guess so many bands kind of start off like that with mm. just a couple of people with a few ideas yeah. when when did you kind of put that into a, like a live a live setting how did that transpire and with additional people mm. Well, there's a great place in Belfast called the Warzone Collective, uh, and okay. it's, uh, it used to be right in the centre of Belfast behind St Anne's Cathedral. It was run by a guy called Pete Burns and a lot of his friends. They were punks from the punk era, and what they'd done right. was they'd followed the whole crass tradition, you know, all the mm-hmm. anarcho-punk bands, and they, they got given uh, a space by the local council where they could run a vegetarian cafe, a recording centre, and a practice rehearsal space. Nice. And uh, there was a lot of this during the Troubles because yeah. anything which kept kids from joining the yeah. paramilitary organization. Anything, I guess, creative. That yeah, keeps, and that yeah. Was it. So you would, you would go down there and they would have like vegetarian and vegan cooking upstairs in the calf and downstairs yeah. would be like three anarcho bands for 50p playing in, in this <laughs> music center. What, what sort of time was this? So this was 1989, right. 19, like, like late 1989. Yeah. And we got offered a gig. They said a band called Decadence Within are right. playing there like a, a UK hardcore band. We like your demo tape. Because what we did is when we recorded our demo tape, we yeah. gave it to all our friends. So take and, it to and all the everyone, venues and just... All the venues. All the and they and we said, well, we're a two-piece. And, and five went, well, I go to school with a guy who's meant to be a really good bass player. He plays in a band called Evil Priest with his brother. They're like a death Great. metal. They're a death metal band. <laughs> Great, mate. I'll see if he wants to do it. And um, Fife went and... I think they were in a geography class or something together. Right, yeah, yeah. And Michael said, well, I'll come along and, and listen to the song. So Fife had given him the demo tape and said, listen to these songs. So Michael turns up wearing like a Voivod right. t-shirt to rehearsal and <laughs> starts playing. And he has a really attacking, percussive, unique style. So yeah. straight away, the bass player was different to what I'd put on the, the mm-hmm. tape. And that was it. So we, that was it. He was in the band. He had one rehearsal with us and he was in the band. Nice. And not long after that, we did a second demo tape featuring Ma- Michael. And then uh, on the back of that, we got offered more local gigs. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's great. And to sort of like build up that local local fan base, mm-hmm. I guess, before sort of spreading wings and going further. Yeah, so, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in terms of kind of the local scene for you guys, mm-hmm. um, what, what was that like? Horrendous. Yeah. Well, uh, for a start, during the Troubles, there was Belfast was dead. Monday to Thursday mm-hmm. night, it was dead. No one went out. There was a club called the Rosetta, which was the rock bar. And they... This is, this is a true story. We sent them our tape and they said, this is really out there stuff, but it's heavy. I think we'll put you on. Rosetta, for example, was right. where, that's where Napalm Death would play when oh, they came okay, to Belfast. Yeah, yeah. Or Carcass, they would do the, yeah. was a, so we drove up to, they said, why don't you come up and, you know, we'll have a chat. And me and Michael drove up there and the guy that owned the Rosetta came out and went, you've got short hair. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, this He's is like that. that big, long, people yeah, forget yeah. that was a big deal in 1990. Yeah. You know, that in the world of metal, metalers yeah. didn't have short hair. Then apart from Rob Halford, yeah. nobody had short hair. And um, they said, I can't put you on. You'd get murdered. He said, you know, because he yeah, was yeah. going to put us on an opening for a band called Candlemas. Right. And it, and he said, I can't put you on open for Candlemas. This is the, everyone in the crowd will be booing you off because you get short hair. <laughs> and then there was a, an indie club called The Limelight, which is where you would see Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, Ride, Teenage Fan Club. That right, day. yeah, yeah. Okay. And we took our demo tape to them and they said, you know, you look like, Cult, well, culture is a word for someone from the countryside. Says, right. You look like three culties, and this just <laughs> this music just sounds like it's it's off the scale. We're not, but you know, we book bands that you know are indie. The NML put in the front yeah, cover. Yeah. We're not going to book you. So thankfully, we had the Warzone Collective put us on. Uh, we did a few punk gigs. Southern Ireland was great for us because there was tons right. and tons of punk gigs in Southern Ireland. 
And uh, the turning point for us came was we wanted to release a single because there was, there was no record labels. There was no music business mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland. And the Southern Ireland music business was mainly Southern Ireland affiliates of major labels. Right, okay. So at the time, Fife was still at uni, but he got a job in the bar. Michael was at drama college, uh, and he had saved up some money from a supermarket job he'd had over the summer. And I was working in Michelin Tires. Oh, factory, right, yeah, yeah. And I'd saved up some money. So we said, well, you know what? Let's press up a thousand copies of a single. Yeah. And we we record it to, in two days, Meet Abstract, Punishment Kiss, these two songs. We sent away to get it pressed in England. They mm. sent back a box of a thousand singles. And what we did then was we took the single round to the uh, other record labels and venues. And then we sold it at gigs. And the, our turning point for us was John Peel played the single. Yeah, okay. And um, on what actually happened there was whenever we were on tour with the band The Beyond that I mentioned earlier, Neil's yeah. first band, we had a gig in London. And this shows you how na- naive we were. I drove the. I was driving the van with Fife, Michael, and one of our friends, Harry, who was crew member, stroke roadie, okay, stroke yeah, lighting guy. Just everything. <laughs> we found out where BBC Radio was because right. the gig yeah, that yeah. night was at New Cross Venue, opening for a punk band called Moving Targets. I drove to BBC, double parked, got a copy of our single, went in the front door, and there was a concierge there with a full-on yeah. military regalia. He said, "Excuse <laughs> me, what do you want?" I said, "I want to give this to John Peel." Yeah, and he looked at me and said, "That's not really the way this works." <laughs> and and I'm, what do you mean? He said, "He kind of you have to have a plugger." Yeah, you yeah. know, someone comes in here, and I said, "Well, it's our own record company," and we were really lucky. And I wish I could remember this girl's name or who she was. It was a young yeah. girl behind reception. Went, are they looking for John Peel? And I went, "I am," and she went, "Well, he sometimes comes in here and says hello. If you write your name on this, I'll give him the single." Amazing. So I wrote, "Dear Mister Peel, we are from County Antrim in Northern Ireland. This is our first single." Now that was on a. Friday, yeah, uh, and we went back home on the ferry from Scotland to Northern Ireland. And on Tuesday night, I was in Michael's flat in Belfast, and his brother was in the room next door. And he came running in and said, "John Page just playing your single." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we went amazing. what? And and we ran in, and at the end of it, he said, "That was a band from Northern Ireland. They come from Larne. And if you want to buy that, and he read out Michael's home address, said, "Write to this number." And he was like, <laughs> yeah. "What a guy! Though. Yeah, yeah. What an yeah. absolute guy! This. Yeah. He's done. So, he did so so much for for the, the industry and for punk bands. Yeah. For for anybody that sort of, I guess, had a unique voice." That he was, he was the man, and I did, there's so many stories that I've kind of heard people say about that sort of thing. Yeah, where normally you get to the you get to the foyer of the BBC, and that's a dead end, yeah. and, it, and it ends there. But there's so many stories where he's people have bumped into him in the street, and he's just like, "Yeah, yeah, let me have a look. I'll have a listen." And yeah, he just seemed to be so so perceptive and accepting of anybody that had an idea. So it's, I it's, think it's, I think the thing I liked about him as well is he was when I, I've met him twice. God bless him. And I think he was always an outsider. Yeah. And I think music like us, well, early therapy certainly, and Napalm Death, and mm. some of the reggae records, and the early post-punk and the industrial, he could tell that these were people from the sticks. Yeah. That, you know, there were genuine outsiders. And I think he actually had some empathy for that. You know, it, yeah. it wasn't, he didn't rely on pluggers, and he stuck to his vision. And I think because he felt a bit like that himself, whether it was his upbringing or whether, you know, from privately school it was a football and he had all these yeah, yeah. In his life. but it's certain that was honestly it, it opened so many doors because then after that whenever we went around with the single we said well john peel has played this single yeah, it yeah. made all the difference yeah ab- absolutely yeah, and what a guy like this i don't know there's they, i've literally never heard anybody who's met him say anything anything any form of negative he's he's seemed to be 
so warm and genuine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what, what, what a legend. I know, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. So in terms of like, as things developed for you guys, because in, in my head, I didn't discover, like I say, I, I knew therapy and I knew I knew the words to scream major and nowhere mm-hmm. before I knew who who you were. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we used to, and I've said this so many times on the podcast, but we used to basically, uh, so we're talking sort of 1998, 99, 2000. We used to, when I was at college, we used to take the school's PA system. There yeah. was three pubs in Whitby yeah. that used to just let some 16-year-olds have the have the back room. Wow, that's and yeah. yeah, it was just kind of close the doors. Yeah. Whatever's going on there is going on. Make sure you clean up after yourselves. Oh, wow. And then we get somebody's drum kit not really my kit yeah. and then just make as much noise as we could yeah. and it was amazing you, you know you've got 150 16 through 18 year olds in a yeah. room with the walls dripping That's um, amazing. Wow. and yeah and and, uh, and certainly scream major and nowhere were, were very very regular um sort of additions to people's oh, sets. Oh wow that's so amazing. I love hearing that. That's fantastic. Absolutely yeah. and then, and then sort of in amongst that in my head there was you guys um three colors red mm-hmm. um wild hearts yeah. jellies and the oh, yeah, kind yeah. of therapy yeah. kind of were for me were kind of within that sort of northeastern scene. Oh yeah <laughs> oh, no 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 you see what I mean China drum yeah like all, it's all funny of those guys. even though we're not from that part of the world we do share a lot of like the fan base with that part Yeah of yeah and the, yeah it, it just there seemed to be. It, I know that you obviously kind of weren't part of that particular scene of the, of those guys where they were geographically, but it kind of all seemed to fit and have the same the same sort of ethos. Well, I think it's an outsider it. thing again. It's a non-London yeah. thing as well. Yeah, it yeah, came from people that grew up in places that weren't cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's and that's that maybe why it, like that whole scene had such an impact on the people of, mm-hmm. of Whitby. You know, it's a northeastern yeah. seaside town with yeah. no real venue. Yeah. Um, nobody used to come and play there. And now you guys have... Yeah. Had, and I have this conversation with so many people. And I try, yeah. um, normally, I try and get them to come and play Whitby. Yeah. But you guys have played Whitby. We have, you, yeah. You played the, really uh, amazing out there. The yeah, the Goth Festival, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of your videos was also filmed there. That's right, yeah. Um, one of my friends, my friend's dad, was actually was actually in, in the video, John oh, Risden. Oh, yeah, yeah. fantastic. It's a, that's one of my favourite videos of recent <laughs> years. That one's great, yeah. Yeah, he's a, I, I think he'd, he'd known of you guys, I think, from his kids yeah, and yeah. such. And yeah, he's a, he was a, a fan and very much enjoyed the, the work that he did. Oh, that's so, right. I love to hear that. Brilliant. It's lovely yeah. to hear that you've got yeah. a Whitby connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of how things have, have gone for you guys since mm-hmm. the start to now obviously things have changed a lot in the yeah. industry um there's a lot more digital stuff how, how have you found sort of adapting i guess to to changes within the industry well we i mean i think we're still around it'll be 30 years is our anniversary yeah. next year but i think the main reason is that after the single we talked about we did two albums for an indie label mm-hmm. and they went to number one and john Peter chapman then we signed to a major as a lot of bands did in yeah. the 90s and we had three big albums that progressively sold more than each other. And then after that, the original drummer, Fife, he left. Yeah. Uh, things had moved on. Rock, Brit rock and, and Irish rock had been replaced by Brit pop. Yeah. Uh, and what we were doing was seen as kind of old hat. Okay. But then that's at the point, I think, that made us what we are. Because what we, could, we had two choices then. We could say, okay, we, were, we, were, we sort of dipped it to on the mainstream. But we didn't just do it in the UK. We did it all worldwide. Mm. We have a fan base worldwide. It's not the size of U2s, but we have a really good fan base. <laughs> things are on the things are on a dip at the minute because we're seen as unfashionable. We can do two things here. We can split up, mm. 
go away, follow, follow, follow a lot of vanity projects, and inevitably <laughs> probably come back in a few years' time? <laughs> yeah. Or what are we? We're musicians. We released uh, a single and two indie albums hmm. when no one cared before, and we played tiny venues. And you know what? We want to be musicians, so let's just see where this takes us. And we bit the bullet, and yep. we just we played through it, and we absolutely... It gave us so much inner strength, and because it, then it meant that we weren't in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, we were. We, we weren't rock stars. Nice. We were musicians, and that that fork in the road said, "Art, do you want to be into this for the fame, or do you want to be in this because it's in your blood?" Yeah, and we took the road because you know, we love playing. We've loved music since I saw David Bowie when I was seven. Yeah, I'm not going to sudden give it up because I'm not on top of the pops anymore. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's that, that's that's lovely to hear as well. Yeah. Kind of when you're faced with that that decision mm. to make and uh, and yeah being having to make what was probably quite a hard decision yeah uh, certainly probably financially and such and there's a lot of things that, that go with that but yeah. yeah lovely to hear that you kind of make the the choices that felt right to you for, yeah. for the reasons why you got into music well the big thing is man going back to what you're saying earlier about the the non-london centric thing mm. because we weren't from anywhere cool we were very very savvy regards the band but you know we always save money yeah. I mean, we weren't. We were more concerned with if we put money aside for lean times, we can afford to go on tour. If my amps break down, I can afford a replacement. Yeah. If the bass drum goes, so that was more important to us than playing golf with Eric Clapton. And <laughs> I, I know I say that in jest, but I know a lot of people that were my peers that yeah. the minute they got successful, the most important things were the hang. Yeah, yeah. What clubs they went to, who they were hanging about with, what famous people they knew. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of those people are now completely skinned because, you know, yeah, you can you can use a tour bus whenever you're only playing to 200 people, but that's going to cost you a grand a day. Yeah. You know, you're going to come home from that tour with no money. And I think that's one of the things that I'm glad that we were, we might have been seen as like kind of hicks from the sticks, but we did have, we did have our heads screwed on when it came to that side of things. Yeah, um, that's that's nice. And yeah. I, had a, I had a chat with the other day with, um, with a guy who, who runs a... Um, a sort of family-centric music festival mm -hmm. in, in North Yorkshire in, in sort of Thirsk area. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of asking, you know, that this is a ridiculous business, surely. Like, mm -hmm. there's other easier industries to, ma yeah. to make money in. And, you know, yeah. and he sort of said, how do you, how do you keep going? Yeah. And he's just like, well, my wife's just really good at managing the books. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. how sexy and rock and roll it gets. Yeah. But that's, that's how you get longevity, yeah. I guess, but and that, be able to do is, what you want to do. That's exactly what it is. And it's, yeah. it's part of the part. You know, and we were so lucky that we came from a punk background. Yeah. Because places like those Warzone gigs, we would do gigs where we would go and play Dublin and there'd be a four-band bill. And we would say, right, well, it's too long to drive and make it back to work next day. So somebody from one of the bands would, would go on and say, okay, well, listen, I've got a spare room. The three of you bring sleeping bags. You can sleep in my spare room. Yeah. We're coming up to play Belfast Art College in two weeks. Time. I'll crash Swap. on your floor. And then tell you what, you'll make us breakfast and we'll make you breakfast. And all that. So you save yourself automatically yeah. the money that you pay on a B&B &B or whatever. And it's and we still we still have that mentality to this day. That's and, you awesome. Know, and it's, our manager, we, we, we had a choice. We didn't get one. We, we had the same manager. Because our manager was good for that with money. Yeah. He wasn't the guy that was doing coke, hanging out at the bar, <laughs> trying to sting. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was the guy that was like, I'm not going on tour. That, he, he has always said from the start, my thing is looking after finances. Uh, your thing is the artistry. You deal with yeah. that and I'll make sure that you've got money in the account. Nice. I and, guess, that's, and he's still our manager. He's the same manager we've had since 1992. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it just shows you that so many people do say, you know, the the way to survive in this industry is to surround yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that kind of just shows, you, yeah. you know, 
yeah, don't go for the everything that's sparkling and, and looks yeah. amazing because it's probably not going to last. Yeah, I mean, there are certain people, I think, you know, there, there are anomalies in music. If you look at people like Prince and people like Bowie, that yeah. no matter what they did, they were going to succeed just because they have that inbuilt natural charisma. Mm-hmm. But I think for 99.9% of the rest of the population, you have to use your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in terms of people that you've that you've seen and, you know, bands that you've played with, mm-hmm. is there anybody that you remember, like, seeing um, and playing with and just thinking, yeah, they're going to they're be amazing and, and, and obviously and may have turned out to be. Well, funny enough, this is pre-therapy. I, I had a little band called Crash Into June that was, I mentioned this guy Gordy mm. before he's the Ents officer at Gordy Uni. And we had this little band together and it was, it was just something we did for fun. And I remember in about 1987, was it? Whenever I was, I was really young, he said, right, let's... Uh, Let's, there's a band coming over from Manchester called the Stone Roses, <laughs> and they're, 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 the reason they came over was because somebody involved with them had gone to uni in right, Northern yeah. Ireland. So we went over and uh, we did four gigs. One of them was an afternoon gig in front of 20 people in a speakeasy bar. Right. The other one was part of like a, a gig night at the Queen's University, and I remember playing with this band going, why aren't this slot? <laughs> Headline and Wembley Arena, this lot are incredible. Yeah, yeah. And after that tour, they released Elephant Stone, right? Yeah. And then the album, it. and it was like, yeah. And that was like that. I remember that. Just that was one of those moments whenever I thought, you know, just watching them, just watching John Squire make one guitar sound like there was thirteen yeah. guitars on stage. Yeah, he was good at that. Yeah. Good, yeah, And I suppose that, and then also other people like. um we toured with a band called the Jesus Lizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we did an American tour for two months with them, yeah. and I just watching Dwayne Dennis and the guitar player, but then watching the Force and H that was David Yao, the singer, yes. every single night, given 200%. You know, going to, ho- going to hospital one night in Milwaukee because he stage-dived into the crowd, the crowd parted, <laughs> and he knocked himself plan. out. Everyone was worried, wondering what damage yeah. he'd done, and see him turn up at soundcheck the next day with a bandaged <laughs> head and do exactly the same thing the next night. Yeah. <laughs> that, commitment to the cause that's, yeah. that's absolutely yeah. amazing mm-hmm. awesome so in terms of kind of what, what's happening now for, for therapy mm-hmm. how's uh, what, what, what's the plans well we've, we've been very lucky our last album Cleave so but I mean ever since Crooked Timber we released in 2009 mm-hmm. we've seen a very slow and steady renaissance of the band and one, one thing that's helped us is that we always toured outside the UK yeah so even you know, when people maybe in the UK perceived us as being all completely over you know, we were still playing Germany, Finland, Greece, Italy, you know, yeah. uh, all around. And we've just done a really successful tour of the album Cleave. We've just done loads of festivals uh, over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're going to do is next year's a celebration. It's our 30th anniversary. Right. So we're um, going to be releasing an odds, I, I don't suppose you call it an odds and sods album. It's like a, a 30th anniversary album in March next year, okay. which has got some classic tracks on it it's got live tracks on it it's nice. got uh reworks of old tracks oh, it's, all, it's like it's almost like a set like an anniversary album yeah yeah and we're going to do loads of big gigs around the all next year festival so we're going to start in march and we're going to end in christmas next year wow busy but, times yeah well the, what we're meant to do is we, we finish we do tonight tomorrow in newcastle we finish on the 5th of october in london okay at the forum and then the plan is that we start writing the new album between the end of October and the beginning of March. 
The new right. album will be written. We'll spend all next year doing the 30th anniversary and then we'll record the new album at the end of next year. Awesome. Yeah. You've got a busy year ahead of yeah. you. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's going to be a lot of live gigs. Mm. Anybody that anybody that you'd love to take on tour with you? Well, there's loads and loads of bands I like. Unfortunately, the bands I kind of quite like, um, I don't know whether they'd be available, whether they wanted it. I mean, my favorite band at the minute is a band called Rainbow Grave. Oh, okay, I'm not heard of Which are amazing. Well, it's, okay. it's bizarre. that They're not young kids. They've got Nick Bullen, who used to be in Napalm Death. Okay, yeah, yeah. They've got uh, Johnny Doom. It's a crying radio oh, yeah, DJ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the album is uh, it's called Know You. Uh, right. N-O-Y-O-U. Okay. And it, I can only describe, imagine if, if um, a crust or sludge band yeah. had uh, Jason from Sleaford Mod singing. <laughs> The lyrics are incredible. <laughs> it's, 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 this kind of, it's this State of the Union address about how crap it is to live in 21st century Britain. Yeah. But over these slowed down Black Sabbath riffs, it's incredible. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll check that yeah, out. Yeah, Rainbow that Grave, fantastic. honestly, it's amazing. Rainbow yeah. Grave. Brilliant. That's, yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. I, g- I genuinely appreciate it. It's uh, lovely to meet you. You um, too. Can't wait to, to see the set. And I'm very much looking forward to all the busyness of next year and a new album. That's, um. that's the best news. Oh, thank you so much. And listen, it's always a pleasure to be up here in Yorkshire. I absolutely love it. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you. So there it is. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, it was great to be back at the Brudenell Social Club to record another episode. As I mentioned in the introduction, please go check out Brudenell Social Club. Um, have a look at their website for any listings. See if there's something that you want to go see. They've they've constantly got live music happening. Um, and as I said, a great selection of drinks on offer if you just want to go and chill out for a bit. Um, Thanks very much to Marshall Records for setting up this conversation and thanks very much to Andy for giving up his time to chat to me. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to him Um, and it's great to see that in terms of their live show they are rocking as much as ever. If you get the chance, as I said, I strongly recommend getting to a live show. Just just check out their their passion that they've still got for for live music and for for punk rock in general. It's, It's brilliant. Um... As ever, I have added a few tracks to the When in Yorkshire playlist on Spotify, so do check that out. Uh, I feel like I'm giving out a lot of homework here, but it's all worth worthwhile. Um, and I will leave it there. So thank you very much for listening. Enjoy whatever else it is that you're going to do today, and good night.